Um, well, I'm going to pick a winner. Okay. <laughs> Regardless. Yeah. It's right, like okay. the game is made up and the points don't matter. Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is a mailbag episode filled with your questions. It's up to you to save the olds, so make sure to stay the hell home. And with me, as always, to help me decode which robot mind is inside of which robot body, it's David Newman. I don't know, man. That's so stupid. I'm so done with that fucking show. If you're not sure which show we're talking about, it is Westworld, a show that is just not good. It, it, it had a decent season one and it had a confusing season two and they lured me in with Aaron Paul and a really yep. sexy, glitzy trailer and I thought, oh, they're in the real world now. They can recover this show and they did not. The second episode, it was just complete and utter garbage. And and I mean, this is a mailbag episode, so we're going to go ahead and lead off with the, with the main question here. From George Duraya, Duria, we're starting off strong here. Uh, why are you still watching Westworld? I don't know. Frankly, I don't it, know. It's an incredibly fair question, and I, I don't know how much longer it's going to continue. I told myself last week, I was like, I gotta, I'm going to do one more episode. You know, I feel like a, give it a chance to get a couple episodes in or whatever. Yeah. But this show, like, you just, you have given it so many chances at this point. It's yeah. just like, why am I still doing this? I feel like it's the physical embodiment of the one line from Tropic Thunder. I'm just a dude inside a dude playing another dude. Or like, I'm just a dude dresses dude uh, playing another dude. That, that's basically the show. And at this point, oh. I, I don't know, man. Dolores can control all the computers and it's just like, okay, cool. So you can rule the world. And now you're, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, I don't care about robots because everyone dies, but then no one dies. There are no stakes in the game. Um, yep. it's, 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 it's bad. The mystery box has gone too far, way too far. It's just, it's not remotely like, I don't mind having a show where I need to have like, you know, make a little bit of effort to like follow some of the crazy shit that's going on, you know, like, you know, Game of Thrones or whatever. Like, I, I'll follow all of the, the crazy shit, all the different houses and characters that you have to deal with that. Whatever. I don't mind it if the show is worth it. This show is just confusing and there's nothing else that makes it worth it. All right, let's get to the rundown uh, because these are the stories, little bitty stories that we're going to get to before we get to your mailbag questions. Uh, and first and foremost, we must pay our respects to Emmanuel Sanders. He is now a saint, both in our hearts and in uniform. Uh, he is, uh, he's gone. And, and my question to you, David, is, was it worth it? Was the, the draft pick God, to get hard. him for, you know, half a season worth it, knowing that now he's gone? It's tough. Um, it, it is tough to swallow for, you know, what, a half a season, essentially, is, is what you got from him. I mean... I think it's important not to just immediately look beyond the fact of like what we thought at the time. You know, I think we were both pretty in favor of making that move, even though at the time, right, you knew that you were going to be left with uh, basically no draft picks between round one and five at that stage. And, and that's always kind of tough to swallow. Um, so I, I don't know, like, I, I don't think it was terrible. Would I go back and, and do it again, knowing that he's likely uh, or is just going to leave um, and you're only going to get that one half season from did like he make enough of an impact to justify it last year? I don't know. Uh, I, I would probably lean towards no, I guess, if I had to pick one. But I mean, it's it's right there, you know. Yeah, it's tough for me. I say yes, only because I have the benefit of hindsight at this point. <laughs> and and I do think that there there was some production that was unlocked with that young wide receiver group. I do think that th there is a little bit something of that. Kendrick Bourne was on Mayoko's pod today, and he talked about how he really learned a lot from just watching Emmanuel Sanders' condition and how he could play. Get this. Uh, he could play more than four plays without getting winded, which is apparently Kendrick Bourne's limit. Kendrick Bourne was like, at four plays, I'm ready to go out. But I I'm saw done. Emmanuel Sanders play like seven plays, and I was like, how do you do it? And, and he wanted to do it. I, I do think there's some value in that. 
Um, I don't know that you want to pay, you know, $9 million for that value, but I, I get it. Um, I think the tough part for me is that there's no compensatory picks on the back end of this. I think that that's the kind of thing that you hope in a trade like this is that even if they do leave after one year, you get a compensatory pick. But if you look at over the caps projections, there's nothing on the tail end of this. The Niners have signed four free agents. They've lost four. They basically have all canceled each other out at this point. Emmanuel, even then Emmanuel Sanders would have only garnered like maybe a fifth round pick. So at this right. point you gave up a, a pretty good draft pick and a draft that has a lot of meat in the middle rounds for half a year production. You know, it got you to the Super Bowl. It got you that chance, which is why I think ultimately it, it probably ends up breaking even for me. But but it does sting a little bit. It does. Yeah, I, I do think that's, you know, one point that that is definitely worth bringing up is is like recognizing that you do have this window. You know, you've gotten off like at the point they make the trade, you've gotten off to a good start. Um, it is clear that you could use like a little bit of help and a little bit of a boost in your passing game and recognizing that the window is open for you to go make a run. Right. I mean, ultimately, like a lot of the way that we judge moves, I think, is like, um, you know, how does this set the team up to be able to sustain success, you know, over a multiple year span? But when you have that window open and you decide that you want to just kind of make a run for it and, and try to go get a Super Bowl, I mean, that's ultimately why you're doing all this stuff, right? So it, it, you certainly can't fault wanting to go make that move and, and go make the Super Bowl. Run. Yeah, I agree. And, and it sucks. I think the Saints are getting a, a damn fine receiver, though. And at this point, they needed another weapon. Saints fans should be excited, especially since they're going to be staring at Tom Brady's ass with him on top of the, the, the division standings at this point. Uh, but next up in the rundown is Sheldon Day, signs with the Colts. Another one bites the dust. Um, you know, I guess... You can only have 19 three techniques on your team forever. <laughs> Eventually, they all, you know, they, they sow their Royal Oats and they go to different teams. Sheldon Day, now a Colt, seems like Indianapolis is trying to capture a bit of that Niner magic in a bottle. Uh, and now they've got Buckner and Day all on their roster. And uh, and yeah, I think that there's, there's still some options for the Niners. Uh, but he was hopefully someone that they could sign, depending on what happened in the draft. But hey, he got some money and that's good for him. Right. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I haven't seen like the terms of that deal yet. I know it was like a one year deal. Um, so, you know, I imagine it wasn't a ton. But at this point, again, D-line is a spot, even with losing Buckner, is still, you know, the deepest position on your roster right now. And you have, um, you know, a bunch of quality players there. You did bring back Ronald Blair uh, into the mix, who's like a versatile piece. So I think like Sheldon Day, as much as like he had some moments and, you know, it's not like he was a bad player by any means. He's, I think, a very good depth piece. Um, I don't think there's anything that he's bringing to the table that you can't go find. You, you know, you can go out and get another depth defensive lineman um, to kind of fill out that rotation and, and likely be just fine. Sheldon Day for me is is that reset player that reminds me, oh, yeah, we signed him off the street from Jacksonville. And he yep. he had some good production for the team over a couple of years. He was a rotational piece, had a couple of flashes, but ultimately he was not someone that you need to try to invert a whole hell of a lot of capital into. And when you think of a replacement player or a street level player like Sheldon Day is it, there's going to be another person that we're going to find that hopefully produces the same and fits in that rotation. And the Niners may not skip a beat as a result. So he he was a good reset for me because at first I was like, oh, oh man, that sucks. I was hoping to sign him. And then I'm thinking like, yeah, but it's fine. We'll we'll find another Sheldon Day. It'll be okay. Um, so, but the Niners did sign a couple of other players. Of course, they signed Travis Benjamin because it feels a lot like 2012 or 2014 all over again. Um, it, back in 2012, that Godier song, "Somebody That I Used to Know," was really popular. Is basically encapsulates Shanahan's strategy when it comes to wide receivers. It's just like, oh, I know that guy. Let's go ahead and sign him. Uh, and so, it. yeah, let's do it. So Travis Benjamin, he's going to try to make it like 2014 all over again. Uh, and and really, he's probably going to be fighting for a roster spot. I don't see him making the team unless something happens with like Trent Taylor or unless we cut slash trade uh, Marquise Goodwin. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he is more than likely just an offseason body. Um, you know, I think not knowing entirely what the off season is going to look like, you know, I'm sure that was probably the line of thinking, right. Where it's like, we'll bring in somebody that's uh, familiar because I think it's not that he brings, you know, like knowing 
or being familiar with the system a, a little bit um, is like some huge value point in his favor. Well, not only I think that, it's but more it was so one, just time. It was also one year in 2014. Yeah, sure. Um, and like, yeah, I, I certainly don't think it's a big deal. I think if you're looking at it from like, why would they bring him in? Like, that's probably the reason. And it's probably because they're saying like, we're going to have a shortened, um, you know, off season period more than likely. And if I can spend less of that time teaching somebody who's probably not going to make the roster, the offense, like that's all the better, right? I can use that time elsewhere. Um, but I, I certainly don't think that like, yeah, he's he's not guaranteed a roster spot. I mean, in all likelihood to me, he's like just Jordan Matthews all over again, where it's a situation of like, yes, you've heard of that player before. Um, you might talk yourself into him being something a little bit more than he is. But in all likelihood, he is not going to end up mattering at all. Yeah. And, and he is got some speed. It's aging speed, but he's got some speed. But the problem is he's got a case of the drops. He has uh, not a great drop rate. And that's that's a basically cardinal sin, both for Kyle Shanahan and for a wide receiver. So you've got to worry exactly what his value is for the team. And, you know, I do think that familiarity gets you something. But Shanahan's route route tree isn't really a tree, right? You think of like, oh, there's like slant post and go and stuff like that. We think of a, of a route tree in a very condensed way. But Shanahan's route tree, quote unquote, is like 24, 25 pages of his playbook. It's long. It's vast. It's not just a couple of routes here or there. We think of a route tree in, in buckets of routes, but Shanahan's got a bunch of them. So, you know, you've got to think to yourself, maybe if, if the Niners do end up drafting a rookie, um, maybe this is going to be their camp body to help them, the young guys, learn how to do some of this stuff and then eventually come to the season. You're like, OK, cool. You've served your purpose. We've paid the coach for the offseason. Now it's time to go. Yeah, I mean, in, in all likelihood, like if he does end up sticking around longer, like any value that he brings to me is purely special teams related. Like I don't see him having any sort of significant role on yeah. offense. Uh, but the Niners did sign some other folks. Uh, Kerry Hyder at edge, uh, Joe Walker at linebacker, both players that are, I think, just kind of fill out the bottom of your roster players. Hopefully they turn into something. But there's there's not a whole lot there that you expect to get from them. And so you're probably not going to spend a lot of time on them. Yeah. I mean, I think these late free agency signings, this is where you're at, right? Like you're, you're likely, uh, guys that are just filling out the bottom of the roster that are very unlikely to do anything. Um, you know, every once in a while, I think there's, uh, maybe somebody that slips through the cracks that you'd like take a stab at that has some upside, you know, somebody like Jason Brett last year where it's like, okay, like he's got some talent, but he's obviously just like, not been on the field. And, and so you, you kind of throw that dart and hope that it works out. Um, but yeah, at this stage of free agency, the guys that they're bringing in are very likely guys that we are going to completely forget about come the season. So at this point, is there anything left in free agency? Cause you've got a couple of players that are signing now for ridiculously amazing deals. Like Nikel Roby Coleman signed for one and a half million dollars, which is an incredible bargain for the Philadelphia Eagles. But is there anything left that you think to yourself, yeah, if the Niners are going to take a stab at something, maybe it's Jason Brett's of the world, that this is the guy you go get? Um, I, I think there's a couple of interesting options like on the defensive line um, that could be there. The problem is I just don't know that they have like even a lot of money to spare for that at this point. Like I, I, I think they're at a point uh, now in the offseason where they're likely not going to be spending anything else. Like I think you look at again, like you kind of mentioned before, you need a, a certain amount of that space. It's going to handle your rookie class. And then every team likes to have, you know, a little bit of wiggle room going into the season to be able to make moves, uh, you know, in case of injury or something like that. So uh, you don't want to be right fully up against the cap. Uh, so they're, they're kind of at the stage now where I think, yeah, they're likely done other than maybe some like, you know, minimum salary, stuff to fill. I'm not sure how many guys if they're up to 90 yet but yeah that's basically it yeah what sucks is that I, I do think there's actually some value out there to your point I just don't know that they have the money now obviously Demontre Moore yep. is still out there he's another street free agent that although we think he can provide a rotational piece the NFL doesn't seem to feel that way and so he can probably be had whenever but you've got another interesting name that gets thrown around Delaney Walker Delaney Walker's coming off of injury maybe you get him at a bit of a discount and maybe in the twilight of his career, he can put together a, a solid year or two to spell uh, to spell George Kittle. I actually don't think that would be a terrible signing. But again, like how much money do you have for something like that? I think the Niners are probably fine with rolling 
with their tight ends uh, and maybe drafting another, you know, athletic profile player in the fifth round since they've got like, I don't know, their entire draft in the fifth round at this point. Yeah, I mean, dude's going to be like 36 this year. Um, the Niners drafted him in 2006. God uh, damn. Was it six? Jesus. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I don't know what that's doing for you. You yeah. know, um, I think you, sure. you had a good point about interior defenders. Shelby Harris, Mike Daniels are chief among them. If, if the Niners could end up signing one of those players on a cheap one year deal, they could produce along the interior and actually do a pretty good job. I think of replacing DeForest Buckner, even if they have very different styles from Buckner in, in Mike Daniels case, but Shelby Harris would be a very interesting, I think player that would be a solid signing. I think the Niners would get some serious value out of someone like Shelby Harris. Everson Griffin played well last year. He's another one of those guys that would kind of play inside or edge, but they, they won't have the money. He'll end up going somewhere for, you know, almost, you know, $10 million probably. And, and I don't know that the Niners can really afford that. Corner is where you see the Niners probably just getting priced out of any market because Trey Wayne's cost, uh, his contract was one year, seven and a half million dollars. That's probably like the, the one year rental price for a corner somewhere between seven and a half and nine or $10 million. And the only two players right now that seem like, you know, you might want to take a stab at them are like Bradley Roby and Prince Amukamara. But that's about it. Everyone else seems to be kind of like a slot guy. Darkies, Denard, Brian Poole. Um, and the Niners aren't really in the market for a slot corner. So you're probably right. The Niners, outside of maybe something that falls through the cracks, like hopefully a Shelby Harris, they're, they're probably going to stand pat from here on out and focus on the draft. Right. Yeah, I, I think it, at this point, any significant, you know, piece that they add, uh, is is almost certainly going to be through the draft, right? Something happened in there. So I think that's that's what we've got left this offseason. All right, so we had one episode left before we jumped into draft prep, and we decided to spend it on your questions on the mailbag. We'll get into the wide receivers next week and go in-depth into the, top, into the top three options and even some other players that the Niners could target in the first round. So you're not going to hear us talk about the, the in-depth kind of scouting that we would on the three wide receivers this week. But we are going to talk a little bit about the the strategy and, and some of that in one of the later questions. But first question off the top that I actually got via email. So respect the hustle from Cody Townsend because I put the call out on Twitter and he went straight to email. I, I love it. I love the hustle. <laughs> but Cody Townsend says, is the trade of Buckner a sign of Patriots like sustainability of success or is the backloading of contracts a sign of Rams like go for it all now short term success? Essentially, which move hints at the long-term plans of the 49ers? So to me, I mean, the we, we talked about this like when it happened, right? Like how surprising the Buckner move was because it just like went against really the way that they've approached roster building otherwise, right? It was kind of a move that seemed really like an outlier. So I think if you look at that move on its own, right, like that is a a Patriots-esque move. You're basically saying, we got four years of excellent production out of this first-round pick um, for where it, like for a, a period where he basically far outperformed the amount of money that we were paying him. And then when it came time to like for him to hit the open market and for him to get that big deal, we decided to send him away knowing that like he likely wasn't going to be worth that huge deal. And we're going to bring in another player on a rookie contract to like fill that roster spot. Right. And get a get a first round pick out of it. So like that move is, is a very Patriots esque move. I don't know, though, that the rest of their roster building approach fits in with that. Yeah, I would say their plan overall is it, it, neither the Patriots type of long term building, nor is it the all go in kind of success. Right. I, I think it's probably something along the lines of we have the team we want now let's try to keep as much of it as we can in in different and unique ways and so that's why i think you have them focusing more on their core i think they look at their super bowl uh their super bowl loss for lack of a better term as validation of their strategy and and so they're saying yes we bet on the right guys we bet on our defensive backs and our safeties that they would develop in year three or that a position change would actually make it work and, and we're seeing something, I think, very similar at wide receiver. I think they're looking at their young wide receivers and they're banking a bit on Pettis maybe coming back off of his sophomore slump and Trent Taylor coming back and Jalen Hurd being one of those guys. I think they're betting on the wide receiver class this year 
a bit like they bet on defensive back last year, looking at that strategy and saying, hey, it paid off. I, you know, they're kind of betting on themselves to a certain degree. Now, is that yeah. smart? Will it work? I don't know. I, I do think that it's probably because they're towing that line of making some very, very smart, shrewd moves and some other moves where it's like, yeah, maybe you should probably cut here or there. You know, there's because there's no real clear strategy there, that bet on themselves is going to become very apparent as to whether or not it succeeds pretty quickly. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I hope obviously that they continue to bet on themselves and continue to win. But I do think that part of betting on yourself is betting on succeeding in the draft. And I think that the strategy from the outside looking in is very much keep what we have together and continue to do what we're doing through the draft. Right. Yeah. I, I think they appear to be like very confident in their evaluation process, right? Like they just kind of believe that they can pick the players that are going to come in and work for them. Right. Um, and I, I think so far to a large degree, that's mostly worked out for them. Right. I, I think they've been able to get some pieces that fit what they want to do and, and everything's kind of, you know, gelled together last year once they, you know, got a full season from a quarterback who wasn't terrible and, you know, everything kind of, uh, came together at that point. And so, yeah, like you said, they, they really, I think the main focus is keeping the core of that team intact, but they also, uh, are consistently like a, been a, a group that preaches, like we want to be a team that builds through the draft, right? Like you hear Lynch and stuff say that where like, it, it's important for them to like get young players in for them to develop. Um, and so, yeah, I think they, uh, kind of, you know, they want their cake and, and to be able to eat it too, right? They, they want to like make the push. We think we have a Super Bowl team right now. We're going to do just about everything we can to keep that group all here. But you know what? We want still some draft picks to like come in and make sure we're not completely losing that like long-term pipeline of talent. Yeah. My, my, my question is really about balancing the aggressiveness and them picking their spots to be aggressive and take risks. Because up to now, it seems like they've been more they've been not as appropriately aggressive with spending dollars in terms of handing out super big money contracts to linebackers and fullbacks and some running backs not like you know Todd Gurley level running backs but you know they still have a lot of money in that position I do think that they're so far they've made better decisions about which positions are valuable I think they're they look at tackle they value that more than guard they look at quarterback obviously they value that um, I do think that they, you know, on, on defense, they value more line than they do defensive backs. I'm curious if that strategy ends up being able to sustain over over time and, and whether or not that plays out in the draft by leading them towards drafting a three technique or drafting something like that as opposed to a wide receiver, which maybe they feel they can kind of succeed by playing a platoon in some way, shape or form. Um, you know, so that that's that's where I think their strategy seems kind of at odds to to what might work, but I mean, to the to their credit, they they have had some notable misses, but I think most of the time they've succeeded in getting the right kinds of players in that got them to a Super Bowl. Right, and I, I think like the last point on that is far as like the backloading of contracts and like bringing that up specifically, that normally again would be something uh, that I would be concerned about a little bit, right? Having, uh, a number of contracts start to have like these ballooning cap figures in the same years, you know, a couple years down the road here. Um, but the one thing more than probably anything else when it comes to this team that I really just kind of trust that they've got their shit together and that they're going to kind of do the right thing is when it comes to managing the cap. And so I think the reason again, that they, are, are kind of putting a lot of money into those years and are comfortable with backloading some of those is because they very much expect the salary cap to also balloon with those cap figures, right? Like I, I, I can't see them. It would be a huge shock to me if those deals like ended up really just putting them in a pinch to, to a point where they like couldn't do anything uh, in free agency and like had to start offloading guys, you know, and taking on dead money and doing these things that just haven't been characteristic of the way that they've like managed the cap. So I think that part, while it's uh, again uh, on its face, like that first glance, a little concerning. Um, I, I think you trust that they know what's going on from a cap perspective and are going to be fine there. All right. Our next question then turns to the draft, the part that we are going to be very, very excited about here soon. 
and the question comes from Twitter, from Pank the Tank. If you had to trade back from one of our first-round picks, which would you trade back from? With a clear near at wide receiver, do you take more of a, quote, premium player like Judy or Ruggs with a lesser package for 31 or more value for 13 and settle for a, quote, lower-tier receiver like Mims or Jefferson at the end of round one? So, David, what, what would you do at the top of the draft? I think it depends who's available, right? Like that's so that's the first question um, is is who is there? If if we're making the assumption for now that at thirteen, you know, let's say uh, t- two of those top three receivers are are available, right? Um, you know, I, I think you have to think pretty strongly about taking one of those guys. Like even in a very deep class, you know, I think you you look back to the the 2014 wide receiver class, which was kind of like, you know, uh, had a ton of, of good players in there, um, had guys that you were getting on, you know, day two, even day three, like that came in and were quality players. I still think largely the best players in that draft were guys that were taken in the first round, right? Mike Evans, Odell Beckham, like those guys were up there at the top. Yes, Sammy Watkins went first and that, you know, didn't work out quite as well as some of the others that were after him. But the, those premier talents are up there, you know, I think largely for a reason, like obviously it's not a hundred percent and there are plenty of guys that come in and miss. Um, but I think in this class, it is not only a very deep class, but there are guys at the top that are very, very good players that have the ability to come in and like be those like star number one type receivers. Right. And so I think if you feel strongly about one of those guys, and you and they're there for you at 13, like that player is much more likely to have uh, like a more significant impact for your team and for your roster than, you know, get trading down and like adding a couple of depth pieces, I think. So I think I, that's what I would do if, if like one of those guys were there and I felt that strongly about them. If they're gone or something like that, then obviously you're looking to to move back and, and trying to get more picks. Yeah, I totally agree. It really does depend on who's available and, and if indeed the Raiders, like I think Victor Four said the Raiders were eyeballing rugs and that would be on brand for the Raiders because they want their own version of, of Tyree Kill and he's a very, very fast guy, then that leaves you your choice of uh, really Judy or Lamb. And, and if that's the case, man, I mean, the Niners would be hard pressed, I think, to trade out of that spot, given the state of their wide receiving core. Kyle Shanahan and Bill Belichick have both said that wide receiver is one of the hardest positions to project. And, and that is true. The, I mean, you look at even this past year, the second round was where the, with the wide receiver, late first, second round is where the wide receiver started going off the board. And you've got A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel, both second round picks, who would probably in a redraft go in the first round very easily, knowing what we know now about the way that they perform. Wide receiver is such a weird position. Um, and, and I think the only pause I would have is, is that very thing, right? Is that there, you don't want to get into the folly of just presuming that, you know, that this guy is going to succeed, that he is a sure thing, that Jerry Judy is a sure thing, or that lamb's a sure thing. We hope they are. And, and what you see on tape, um, kind of leads you to go that way, but that would be the only thing that would kind of lead me in maybe saying, you know what, try to get the most value for those picks. Um, so, so yeah, that, that's probably what I would think. Um, but I think every fiber of my being says, go get one of those wide receivers because they're to your point, that's where the talent, like the really game breaking talent may be. And, and and after that, you're kind of rolling the dice a little bit more. Doesn't mean you can't hit. It just means the, the, the odds start to get stacked against you. Right. You know, even going back to that same draft, right. Devonte Adams went in the second round. And, and obviously he's been very good. Um, but, you know, it, it, it does become like the further you go down. Yes, the whole draft is is kind of a crapshoot, right? Like the whole there, there's risk with every single pick from top to bottom. But the further down you go, like the more uncertainty there is with how good that player is going to be. Right. So even though it may be, say, 50 50 at best as to whether a guy in the first round is going to work out those odds only get worse from there, right? So those are yep. still the guys you're going to feel most confident about. Um, yeah, and, and I th- I do think that like that would be their strategy. I think that's a, a Shanahan Lynch strategy is if they 
get there. Like I just imagine Shanahan getting locked on to one guy that he he loves. Oh, totally. That guy's you know there, that's going to happen. No chance that they're not taking him. Right. Yep. Like that's kind of how they operate. And so I think, yeah, like you mentioned, there is, I, I think, long term, especially like a lot of good things come from like trusting that, you know, recognizing that you're not going to be the smartest guy every time. Right. And just more giving yourself more chances to succeed and, and getting more picks and, and having more darts that you can throw at that board. That's going to be a good strategy for you most of the time. Long term, um, they do not operate that way. That is not a, a thing that they have done since they've been here. If you had 17 darts, do you think that you could hit the board 17 times? Or do you think that you like you like what what would your hit rate be if you had 17 darts to throw at a board? I mean, it'd be fine. It would be good. Yeah. Well, if you're the 49ers, it wouldn't be because the Niners have drafted a wide receiver 17 years in a row. And in some years, yep. they've drafted multiple receivers. So this isn't 17 darts. This is more like 20 darts because one year they drafted like two or three <laughs> wide receivers. Uh, this started way back in uh, what, 2002, 2003 with Brandon Lloyd. With Brandon Lloyd and Arnaz Battle. Arnaz Battle, former quarterback at Notre Dame, if my memory serves me correctly. David's looking it up right now. I can see it. Uh, Brandon Lloyd, of course, uh, famous for ducking under a pass. Uh, Although Brandon Lloyd did have a ridiculous one-handed sideline catch that is yeah. a, a beautiful, I mean, he, beautiful catch. He's had uh, several ridiculous catches yeah. uh, on, on the positive side of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, there's a lot of names, uh, a lot of names in that like 17-year run that aren't so great. Yeah. Now, in, in terms of style, of it, which incidentally is ridiculous, but I think, if anything, keep doing it. Like, that shouldn't be the thing that Niner fans look at and say, oh, well, don't, like, I can't believe, like, we've already drafted two wide receivers in the second round. We need to spend capital somewhere else. It's like, no, wide receiver, not only because of the roster numbers, but because of the importance of that position to the quality of the offense is a position where, yeah, you absolutely should actually spend a couple of draft picks every year on that position to see what hits, uh, and hopefully you hit on something. And so absolutely, spend some more money, uh, spend some more capital on that position because the 49ers need it. Now, in terms of style, we haven't done a super deep dive into Judy Lamb or Ruggs, but we we know what the the kind of Twitter scouting community is saying about them. And, and by and large, Judy is that polished route runner who's got really good starts and stops. CeeDee Lamb, I think his comp is more of a DeAndre Hopkins where he's got some really good ball skills and he may not be as fast as Judy, but he's still a good route runner. And Ruggs is that speed guy. He's the guy who's going to take the top off defense defenses, but... He can still run routes and do other things. He's not just a pure speed guy. We're going to get into deep scattering reports for them next week. So make sure you tune in next week. But knowing those things about those wide receivers, is there one that you would prefer or that you think Kyle Shanahan would prefer? And why is that rugs? I'm just kidding. Um, because <laughs> Rug, the, the, yeah. the question is, should the Niners basically stay away from rugs altogether? Because they're not going to use someone like Marquise Goodwin. Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't throw deep balls. So why would the Niners even really consider rugs? Right. Um, I mean, as far as rugs, like that's not something I think that I'm, I'm like ready to say that like you should just avoid him altogether. Right. Um, I, I think obviously, like you mentioned, we'll, we'll be kind of back with more of that, like having a chance to like watch just more of his snaps consecutively and get a better feel for him. That'll be something that we tackle next week. Um, but as far as just like whether it's worth putting a deep threat in this offense, right? So I, I, I think it just kind of depends on where the issue is coming from as far as why they're not willing to, or, or at least they don't throw the ball deep very often, right? Is it coming from Kyle Shanahan? Is that just not something that he wants to be able to do? And, and he just kind of thinks essentially that, look, we're going to kind of just eat up yardage and get yards after the catches with the intermediate stuff. And we'll kind of take a shot here and there, but it's just not going to be a big part of our offense. Um, do they not do it because, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo isn't good at it? Do they not do it because Shanahan doesn't think Jimmy Garoppolo is good at it? Like, I, I think it depends on the reason that you're not throwing it deep. If it's just because, um, you know, they don't feel comfortable doing it right now and they want the right guy to do it, then yeah, maybe you're looking at rugs, but. Yeah, I think it's a blend of quarterback style 
and offensive system. And I'm not sure how much to put in, in what camp. So basically, if I'm looking at quarterback style, what I know is that quarterback style tends to be relatively sticky from year to year. Quarterbacks like to play within a, a specific style. What does that mean? That means that Jameis Winston is going to have a lot of very high difficulty throws, but also a lot of boneheaded interceptions. And this is why his 30 and 30 INT interception season is basically art in motion. Um, but you've also got quarterbacks like Alex Smith who tend to check it down and are, are conservative. And then you've got quarterbacks that like to sling it in some cases for no apparent reason. Those are all parts of those quarterbacks makeups and they will vary from year to year a little bit, but that tends to stick how long you hold the ball, how deep you throw the ball, those things kind of stick. And, and I, I wonder if Jimmy Garoppolo is just not a quarterback who's going to prefer the deep ball. If he's got something intermediate or something short that opens a little sooner. Um, I don't know how much of it is that versus just the offensive system that Kyle Shanahan runs with Garoppolo. Even in 2016, when Kyle Shanahan had Matt Ryan, who is a, a good deep ball thrower, they still did not throw the ball uh, downfield a whole hell of a lot. I think Matt Ryan still only had like 11 or 12% deep ball attempts in that offense. And that was a record-breaking offense in, in many ways. So I, I think that a lot of it comes down to just the types of plays that Shanahan calls. And when a quarterback works in structure, he just doesn't have to go deep or take those deep shots often. And then you pepper in a little bit of Jimmy Garoppolo's style. And and that's where you get what the Niners are at when it comes to leveraging the deep ball. And, and if that's the case, then I don't think that someone like Rugg should be immediately discarded if indeed all he is is that deep threat, which again, we don't know that he is. Um, it just is going to mean that Shanahan has got to commit to deploying that resource and attacking that part of the field a bit more often and a bit more consistently. Right. And, and I think for me, like that's the part that I, I don't know that I have a ton of faith in it. Like I, I think, um, the reason that they don't throw it deep all that often to me comes down to more of a, a play calling um, systematic issue. Right. Um, and whether, again, whether that's just because that's just not what he likes to do or whether that's because he doesn't have faith that Garoppolo, you know, can do that well consistently. Um, I, you know, obviously can't answer that question, but I do think if it is that he doesn't believe that Garoppolo can do it, I, I don't know that he's correct there. I don't know that we have enough information to say he is, you know, just not a good deep ball thrower. I mean, obviously that was something that we talked about quite a bit after that first kind of like what five game stretch when he, when he first came over in 2017, um, he had like, I think 16 deep throws during that stretch and only completed four of them. So it wasn't good. And that was like a big question mark for his game as we went into what we thought was going to be the first full season with him. Um, since that time, he's actually been very good throwing the deep ball. Like he's been very accurate. Again, he still doesn't have a lot of attempts. So we're still like in a, uh, a sample overall, even when you look at the, the all of the attempts that he's got in the three seasons he's been there, it's still a very low number of attempts. I think he's got like 60 of them so far, but he's actually been one of the league's most accurate quarterbacks on those throws. And so, again, we've got a short sample um, uh, of a few games there where he wasn't very good. We've got another short but slightly larger sample of him being pretty good uh, on those throws. And so I don't know that we can like definitively say one way or another that like, yeah, he's definitely bad. We should just avoid that altogether. So to me, I think like it, it has to come down to like Shanahan just not really wanting that to be a significant part of the offense. I think he thinks that the intermediate area is like where the value essentially is in the passing game, right? That's like kind of where efficiency is going to meet like the big play potential if you've got the right bodies in there, right? Cause I can complete those intermediate throws at a higher rate than I can the downfield throws, the 20 plus stuff. Um, and if I've got guys like Debo, like Kittle that can turn the 12, 15 yards in the air throw into a 30 yard gain, then like, that's how I'm going to get my big plays and I'm not going to throw it over the top. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And honestly, he's he's been right several times over the course of mm -hmm. his NFL career. Right. Like totally. it, it, he's absolutely been right. Now, two final questions here on this topic. One, one of the, Minnesota has two first round picks, 22 and 25. Would you trade the 13th overall pick for 22 and 25 if one of those three wide receivers is there? Which one? If uh, Judy's there, no. 
<laughs> uh, all right, let's say that uh, Judy and Lamb are there. Would you trade uh, 13 for 22 and 25? Uh, I don't know. Um, everything in me says that you should, um, but yeah. I, I really like Judy. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, I think it's what it comes down to. So, yeah, I'm like having that moment where I've like got my eyes set on that yeah, guy. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, exactly. fuck it, I want that guy. Like, I don't care. Um, I, I, I do think like, yeah, the smart move is probably to pick up those extra picks. I mean, if you had 22, 25, 31, um, this is a, a deep receiver class again. Um, I don't know if they would do this, uh, but I think it would be smart. Like if you can then take, uh, you know, one or a couple of those picks and suddenly you, you pick up a few, uh, in day two and stuff like that, you're kind of building that pick count in there there's a lot of good receivers that are going to go at the end of that first round into the second round. Um, there, there are a lot of good players and and I'm sure that there are some that are going to be able to come in and fit what they, they do and, and can really produce in, in the 49ers offense. So I, I think, um, if you can pick up some other, other picks there, get a couple of receivers. Like I, this is a year where I really would, if I had the opportunity, I would double up, right? It's so important that they, if like for them, like, I guess it would not that it's, they absolutely have to have it, but it would make such a big difference if they were able to hit on a, on a true like top end receiver, right. To add that kind of element to this passing game, pairing him with Kittle and, and the other guys that they've, they've got already there, like would be, uh, an awesome thing for their passing offense. Uh, taking multiple chances in a completely stacked class is something I think would be really smart. I don't know if, if they'd be willing to do that though. And then last question here, it comes from Twitter from Yuna Jakey. Since we have two first round picks, can we expect a return of the drunk draft pod? And actually uh, correction, it was drunk prospecting. Let's get it right. Uh, I was drunk throughout the entire prospecting video, but I remember the title. Um, and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is about all I remember, to be honest with you. We set the title when we were sober. So. Correct. Correct. Um, yes, actually, I do think you're going to get a decidedly more sober scouting episode from the Better Rivals pod. But actually, I think we're probably going to launch a Patreon here in the next couple of weeks. And and that's the kind of stuff that we will post on the Patreon uh, in addition to some other exclusive content. So keep your eyes peeled for uh, an announcement on that front, and, and you'll probably get some more exclusive content there. Now let's get to our last question before we get to a special surprise here at the end of this week's episode. Uh, we'll, we'll call this segment the NFC Best. This question comes from Angela Marino, uh, Angelo Marino, more than likely. Uh, do you think the Cardinals are going to finish last again in our division? And do you think we will finish first again? Uh, and the preamble to this question really is about the Cardinals improving quite a bit this year by getting DeAndre Hopkins, uh, a pretty solid signing in Devon Kennard, and and that I mean they've they've definitely made some improvements along their uh, their overall roster. The Rams are well. The Rams they're dealing with the fallout of a logo that looks like uh, their mascot should be the Karens. And and you've got Seattle who uh, have you not seen that meme where it's like the Kate plus eight woman and her haircut is like the can I speak to the manager haircut and it looks just like the Rams logo. Oh, I will send. I, I don't. I, I will send I've you some serious one. memes. I will send you some memes here in a minute. Um, but but what do you think about the the Cardinals' chances here in, in the NFC West? I mean, I think they're certainly better than they were before this offseason started, right? Um, I mean, I think you know you do need to be careful with stuff. Uh, you know, like even even something that uses more advanced measures, like um, the the improvement index that you mentioned um, that Kevin Cole has been updating for us at PFF. Uh, which just kind of shows, like, you know, how much a team has gained or lost in terms of PFF war. Uh, the bad teams have the most room to improve, right? So you look at a lot of the teams up there uh, that are kind of at the top of that improvement index, and it is a lot of teams that weren't very good last year because there's a, nowhere to go for them but up, right? So I think there's a little bit of that with the Cardinals, right? They weren't great um, last year. They brought in some big pieces you would expect them to be at least a little bit better, right? So I don't know. Uh, I mean, this division is tough. I mean, it's it's going to be hard to predict because I think, uh, it, a lot, you know, from Arizona's perspective, a lot of it depends on what happens with Kyler Murray, right? If he takes more of a Baker Mayfield type, you know, stagnant year two where he doesn't really take any sort of step forward, then, you know, they probably are down towards the bottom again. Um, if he is, you know, better and takes a step forward and, and that offense is clicking now with, 
uh, Hopkins in there and all the other pieces that they have, like, yeah, you could see them take a huge leap forward. So I think a lot of it depends on him. Um, but they certainly have, you know, some pieces on that team to be excited about. You know, I think they're young. I don't think they're fully there yet, but, um, it's the division as a whole is going to be tough. I think. Yeah. I don't think they finish last though. I think the Rams finish last. I think the Rams, the Rams, yeah, the Rams right now, if I had to pick would be the team. Yeah. Rams finish last. I think Cardinals and Seattle are going to fight it out in there, uh, for, second and third at some point and and i think you know the niners in seattle are probably going to fight it out for one and two and depending on whatever week 17 game <laughs> the niners or the, the league decides to schedule is ultimately what it's going to come down to um as you know yeah. they want kind of to happen all the time so uh, all right we've got one more question before we get to a very special return of an old segment but it comes from david Makepeace, who i don't know if that's his real name but if it is legit uh, you have to go into quarantine for two weeks with three 49ers players and or staff, past or present. Who do you choose? Oh, God, this is tough. There's Come on, so Bill Walsh players. has to be one of them. Bill Walsh has to be one of them. Right, it's hard. I think it depends on, on yeah, like what, what kind of vibe you're going for, right? Like part of me wants to go, I want Walsh, I want Kyle Shanahan, um, and I'm just going to like sit there and absorb football information for correct two straight weeks. Those would be two of mine. Uh, I think the others that are right up there are George Kittle because why not? Um, and the bonus is that George Kittle could bring Trent Taylor in his pocket and no one would know. Like I was going to say, does Trent Taylor like count yeah, as a full person or is he just a half? Person? It's, it's a bonus because Kittle, like that was my other first thought, right? Was, uh, was like Kittle and Trent Taylor, like, and then just somebody like that's going to yeah. be the most fun two weeks. But then us. I think the other, the other ones that would give me pause are Ronnie Lott. Uh, not just because of the way that he would probably stare at me and make me wet myself, but because I think you could get some really fun stories from the Niners in, in the eighties and Bob McKittrick, I think would be another fun one to just absorb all of the offensive line knowledge that I could. I very much lean towards like absorbing knowledge more so than, than anything else. But yeah, for me, it'd be Bill Walsh, Shanahan, um, and, and maybe Jim Harbaugh and just watch the world burn between all three oh, of man. them. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be something. Yeah, I think maybe if you go those two right, you got to throw a quarterback in there. Like, I think you got to go like Montana yeah. or Young. Yeah. With with those two. Oh, no. Uh, Steve DeBerg. Yeah. Easy. I'm, oh I'm God, kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, all right, let's get to that's the end of the mostly the end of the mailbag. We're going to get to one more question in the mailbag uh, and the return of a special guest and the return of a special segment. But before we do that, we're going to take just a brief break here from our sponsors. The final question for the mailbag comes from 904 Niners Nation, who asks, when are you bringing the lightning questions back? Uh, and that's, of course, referencing the lightning round segments that we used to do a few years back with uh, former co-host Richard Reininger who is currently on the line on this very special quarantine edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Richard, welcome back to the pod. How are you doing? It's, uh, I'm doing great. It's great to be here on the call with you guys. Hey, everybody. How's it going? I can see that your awkwardness has not uh, left the building. Uh, uh, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I never I never knew. <laughs> well, for those that are uninitiated, the lightning round basically goes like this. Richard creates questions that he asks of both David and I. David and I either give correct answers or persuasive answers. And at the end of it all, Richard arbitrarily assigns points and winners, uh, basically based on the way that he wants, irrespective of who's right or wrong. Uh, it's I'm upset that we're not calling this the gauntlet. Uh, yeah, because it, it basically it, it was yeah, it's basically the gauntlet, uh, and, and I think all time winner of the gauntlet is still me. Uh, my over my that's total shit can't be proven. My total record is still <laughs> exactly you can't prove it, so you can't you can't prove me wrong at this point. Uh, it's amazing. So uh, Richard, we're gonna close down this mailbag edition of the pod with your lightning round slash gauntlet, a lightning gauntlet, if you will. Uh, so take it away. Okay, um, David, since you're the historical loser you'll get to answer first um, wow. <laughs> um uh i want your super bowl pick next year right fucking now who is it oh, whoever God. who i don't even know you act like i've been paying attention to this offseason like what are even the teams gut, that are in gut, the league gut, right now gut reaction gut um reaction. i think uh 
Are we going? Re- I think the Chiefs make it back. I, I think the okay. Chiefs are going to be in there. Um, I'm not going to go with the 49ers. I will go with the Saints. Who wins that game? The Chiefs. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. He, uh, he stole one of my answers. I was going to go with the Saints this year. It's it's Breeze's last hurrah. I think they they do indeed make it back. Uh, the NFC is going to be tough this year. Tough, tough, tough. I, I think in the AFC, you, you look at the Chiefs. I mean, at this point with Brady leaving, things become quite a bit easier for the Chiefs to repeat. I, I don't know who else can take them out. Maybe the Steelers with uh, uh, Ben Roethlisberger and his twilight, but... Um, yeah, I, I can't see too much uh, different with uh, with David's answer. But given that this is a competitive environment, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that the Steelers ride Ben Roethlisberger into the sunset and he retires after this year. Uh, and that's that. But who wins that game? Oh, and the Saints win. OK, well, I'm going to say Oscar wins that one because the Saints are going to beat the Ravens. That's what's actually going to happen. Wow, that's, uh, so, Oscar, you, that's you win that point. Um <laughs> I see we're back to our usual (laughs) usual (laughs) state of being. All right, Oscar. Um, Prediction next season for the Patriots without Brady, or as I'm going to start calling them, the Patriots. The Patriots, man. Jared Stidham. uh, They're going to realize that Jared Stidham's not (laughs) the answer. And they're going to realize that Cam Newton is indeed the answer. They're going to sign Cam Newton, and they're going to make the playoffs and lose in the divisional round to someone. Uh, but I think they end up, if they sign Cam Newton, uh, they're going to end up near uh, like nine or ten wins. David? Yeah, I mean, the rest of that division is just so terrible um, that, I don't know, they probably can trot out like me at quarterback and get to eight and eight and win that fucking shitty ass division. Um, so yeah, I, I think like nine, I think they will, they'll figure something out at quarterback. It'll be decent enough. Um, the rest of their rosters, like in a, a decent enough spot, you know, defensively, especially they're fine. Um, so yeah, I, I think that they can do enough in a weak division to still get to like nine and seven and win it. Um, David wins that one. I think the Patriots missed the playoffs. Boom! Bold prediction. Um, okay, now did you uh, did you prediction. award David that point because you were right? <laughs> yes, of course I'm right. Have, have you forgotten how this game works? <laughs> oh Jesus, I, I didn't. The, the closest forget. to correct, which is my answer, wins the point. Oh God! Um, all right, all right. Uh, prediction for uh, Brady in Tampa, or as I'm going to start calling them, the Tampa Bay Bucks. Oh no. <laughs> Oh no. That's a good one. That's better than the, than the Patronauts. Uh is this me? Was this me up first now? Uh, yeah, David, you're up. Oh god. Um I I don't think I don't think it's happening. Uh what did they finish last year? Let's see here. Standings. This is some they finished fucking like, excellent uh, radio. Eight or nine uh, wins, seven right? and nine. Oh, I yeah, I seven. think that uh shit, let's go seven and nine. Anyway, Brady's fucking washed. I'm sorry. So. Yeah, I think that they uh, do better than seven and nine, but not quite to 10 wins. I think they end up at nine wins and they flirt with the playoffs at the end of the year. And depending on what happens, uh, maybe squeeze in because um, this is the year that you have an expanded playoffs. And so I think because you have an extra team, they might sneak in there. Uh, Oscar gets that point. I think he gets to the wild card and beats the Niners. It's going to be an upset. Here it comes. Calling it right now. All right. Uh, you come back Oscar. on this podcast after so many years, Richard. And this <laughs> is and this is what you do. <laughs> yeah. Has anything changed? Nothing's changed. No. Um, all right. Uh, you may have talked about this already. Um, what TV show are you watching now that you uh, have never watched that you're excited to catch up on while quarantined? Who's up? Whose question is it? Uh, Oscar. To you. Oh, man, I think the big one for me is going to be The Sopranos. Uh, I mean, I'm now in season three of The Sopranos. Uh, it's an oldie but a goodie. And I mean, it's fantastic writing all around, fantastic acting. I think James Gandolfini does such a great job acting that role. Um, it, it, it does what really good TV shows do, which is it is a family drama set in a mob family, which is just an interesting idea. Like what what happens to the family dynamic when the, you know, the patriarch of the family is kind of a murderer and everyone knows that he is um it it introduces a lot of really funny stuff um and it's 
unexpectedly hilarious. That show is really, really funny. So um, as like a show that I've never seen before that I'm watching, I think uh, that's it. Uh, for David, it's got to be Westworld. He loves that show. No, I like I honestly do not have an answer. I have not been watching any TV whatsoever. My life, my TV life right now is this. My wife is pregnant. <laughs> she uh, is very her her job is like uh, been very critical to all of the bullshit that's happening in the world right now. Uh, so she's been working a lot and is stressed. And then like when she wants to watch TV, she watches stupid shit is kind of how it is. So I've been watching a lot of Love Island. Love Island, Australia, Love Island, whatever other countries that they're in right now. Uh, that's pretty much the only thing that is on my TV right now. It's the Love Island UK, but they're filming it in South Africa. Yeah, no, Australia has been what we've been watching. We finished the UK season. There's not a current season happening right now. <laughs> Australia, we've gone through two fucking seasons of Australia. All right. Uh, yeah. It's that that is literally the only thing that appears on my TV right now for like the last several uh, weeks. Uh, David gets the point on this one. Um, <laughs> having seen what little I've seen of Love Island, it's worth worth sending people to just <laughs> so they get a sense. Oh, I agree. David, good, Trust me. This is the, this is the pro Love Island uh, pod. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, TV recommendation for listeners to watch while they're quarantined. Oh, man. Um, that you've seen. Well, I, I think we've already talked about crashing, everything from Phoebe Waller-Bridge. So like crashing or Killing Eve or Fleabag. And since we've already covered Love Island, I think obviously that's, gonna, that's, that's probably not going to be the recommendation. But I would say if you want some escape from the world, oh my God, this is crazy, watch Love is Blind. Love is Blind is hilarious. It's basically people having to decide to get married within four or five days without ever having seen each other. And then they're going to try to decide whether or not they're going to stay married over the course of the next four or five weeks. And Sorry, David's face as you were answering that. Just shaking his head. Uh, he yeah, knows what it is. It's fine. He knows exactly what it is uh, because he's probably <laughs> watched it <laughs> right after he watched The Circle. <laughs> but yes, oh Love is Blind my is my answer. Um. God, I'm trying to think of this. I don't want to send people to it, actually. Um, <laughs> there, there, there was a show uh, like uh, so all of this like stupid ass dating shows. There's one in the UK that they basically all get naked. Like so uh, somebody come naked and afraid. No, that's like a CBS show. Yeah, Hold no, on. I'm going to so, like the way that the premise of it, right, is like someone you have like the person that's there that gets to like he's he's the one that's picking or he or she is like trying to pick who he wants to date. Right. And the contestants, essentially, only thing that he is making judgments on is their body. So it starts low like it starts so it starts if you imagine they're all in like these like little tubes essentially and there's slowly a curtain that's rising starts at the bottom <laughs> so you literally see like the bottom half of them first and it's just like a bunch of so like the one that we watched one of our friends like came over after my wife was having like a bachelor watch party afterwards was like look i stumbled into this like you you gotta watch like this one episode and so we like let him talk us into watching this one and it was like this old dude and he like they literally the first thing that comes up is like it goes to waist high and they're just staring at some badge. And he's like, uh, don't like that one. She's eliminated. And then it goes up to like, you know, just above her boobs. And like then he's like, I don't like that one. Get out of here. And it like keeps slowly like moving up and they don't get to say a word. Um, David, we are going to have daughters in like three months. We cannot direct people to this kind of television. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're like really fucking bored and you like are like, I need some weird shit in my life, like <laughs> go fucking seek this out. It's on YouTube. Like, like I said, I haven't been watching any actual TV, so I have no good recommendations for anyone. We'll find the name of that show. That'll get posted somewhere. I've seen part of Love is Blind and I was surprised at how into it I was. So, Oscar, you get the point on that one. Um, I'm watching The Americans, by the way, which is great so far. Um, and the TV recommendation <laughs> that I think people should look up is also on YouTube. It's called Kid Nation, and it is a reality TV show from 
the George W. Bush presidency, where they take 40 kids and drop them into a ghost town for 40 days without any adult supervision, and it's a total shit show. It is like compounding bad decisions on top of each other uh, continually. So bonus plug for Letter Kenny, which we're gonna watch the cold open for Letter Kenny uh, after this uh, after the show is done. Letter Kenny, I've also heard good things about that. All right, um, last wreck here, quarantine album wreck. Uh, David, do you listen to music or no? I listen to the music that Spotify puts just, in its playlist for me to listen to. David says yeah. trust the algorithm. Yeah, absolutely. Trust the algorithm. He doesn't even know what he listens to. He just It's just random noise. <laughs> I, I don't pay attention. It's just on there. I hit play. <laughs> like, look, during the season, <laughs> especially... I'm sitting in front of a computer for many, many hours on end, and I just need some background noise. So I just need, I don't want to spend time like looking for something to actually listen to. I just like click the button, fucking some noise comes out in the background so it's not silent in my office, and that's where I'm at with music. Uh, I would say two bands are going to be my recommendation, both in the same genre. They're going to be uh, a little bit of funk, a little bit of, of R&B, uh, but Marcus King Band he plays some phenomenal stuff, and Marcus King actually had a, a bit of a solo project that that he did as well. He his album is a really just phenomenal. And, and then Black Pumas are a local Austin band actually, who are in that similar kind of funk R and B um, vibe that are just they're super fun to listen to. They're uh, they're great great live shows, and and yeah, I would strongly recommend you listen to uh, Marcus King or uh, the Black Pumas. Oscar, you're going to get that point for answering the question. Um, my bar. album is bullshit so, pop. So <laughs> come on here asking bullshit pop culture fucking shit. They're like, this is rigged. It's a rigged game. I'll, I'll make it for you. I'll make it better for you next time. I'll ask more about football. Um, uh, mine's been All Things Must Pass by George Harrison. Awesome album. All right, last question. Um, this was kind of an accident, but I decided today that I'm going to uh, move forward with this. Um, when the quarantine uh, shelter in place came down in the Bay, I got anxious and uh, got rid of the beard. And I'm now, uh, I've decided I'm going to grow a quarantine cowboy mustache. So uh, yay, yay or nay, Oscar, should I keep going? Define cowboy mustache. It's just going to be what it is. I'm going to... I want to try the handlebar thing. It's basically as embarrassing as I can make it um, because I don't have to see people. Yeah, I mean, at that point... I'm locked, I, in, a, I'm locked in a house. At that point, just go all in. I mean, you've got to have something visually interesting for all of the Zoom or virtual happy hours that we're going to have. At this point, my social calendar has oh, filled man. up way more so than it did when we were allowed to go outside because I basically it's like happy hour on Thursday, Friday. And then we've got like family meetings on Saturday, all like via zoom or FaceTime, everything from like your shoulders up has got to stay visually interesting. So hell yeah, lean into that mustache. I mean, I haven't shaved my beard in like 15 years. I'm, I'm thinking about just going like bare cheek here just to keep it interesting. You know, you can, the beards are bad for the masks. The CDC says this is part of why I did it. Uh, no, um, okay, so your answer is as, as embarrassing as possible. Got oh, it, totally. David. <laughs> a mustache is never... There's like a, a very finite number of people who can pull off a mustache in the world. And like, I'm you just You don't saying, think I'm one of I don't, them? <laughs> I don't know if you're one of them. I'm saying the odds aren't in your favor. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, David, you're correct. All right, you both are right, but Oscar wins anyway. <laughs> That one's a tie. I've I've reigned. Whatever. My my reign is still supreme at this point. Uh, it, it's been fun. D Richard, David, what are David? What are your interests? I'll I'll write a better one for you, uh, a more fair one for you next time. More fair quote, air quotes. God, man, I'm not doing anything right now. Game of Thrones. Football. Uh, well, football. Is still where I'm at. You know? Yeah. Look, if you that, could, that is where things are. If right you now. could make the next lightning round completely full <laughs> of. Uh, like Division Two and FCS questions with a side piece of some punter and running back questions, I think that would be right up David's alley. It'd be great, trust me. 
Um, that sounds so boring. <laughs> oh yeah, it's great. I'm not even gonna. I'm not gonna respond. <laughs> I'm not taking that fucking bait. Don't do it, David. Don't do it. I lasted uh, just, just, just over an hour before I tried baiting you. It's been fun. Uh, Richard, thanks for coming on again, man. It was good to get to do another lightning round, and and it was good to have you back. Yeah, good to be back. Call me anytime. Um, for the next few weeks, I'm sitting in this exact spot on this exact couch until, uh, well, chaos goes back to wherever it was hiding before. Yeah, I think we'll probably put so, uh, we'll, we'll do a couple of these uh, and maybe put them on the Patreon when that gets kicked off. So we'll uh, we'll we'll go that route, which will be fun. Uh, but sounds good. You can always follow me on the Twitters at Better Rivals David. Where can they follow you? That'll be at PFF underscore David. Thanks for tuning in this week to this mailbag edition of the Better Rivals podcast. And as always, go Niners. Go Niners.